Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Awesome. I'm Tim. Hi. I uh, am the lead minister here at Markle Church of Christ, and uh, as is common on Sunday, I am honored and privileged to be able to um, lead us through uh, the Word of God. And uh, although Nick did it last week, and he did an excellent job. I loved his uh, I loved his line uh, to stay and to live in the meantime while we await. And I'm actually uh, with Habakkuk three this morning. We're going to carry that idea on forward this morning. But in order to get there, I actually want to start with one of my favorite stories or parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke uh, because it's a good setup for uh, what what we hear in, in Habakkuk in his prayer. And so. If you wouldn't mind, I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read through the uh, NRSV this morning. It says, uh, Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. I hope you'll remember that phrase, not to lose heart as we keep going this morning here. So he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my accuser. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continuing coming. Nice guy. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The book of Habakkuk is a heavy one. It's a, I like to think of it as Job light, if you've ever read the book of Job, because uh, it's only three chapters long. But it really gets us to end up wrestling with difficult questions, how to have faith in the face of adversity, how to have faith when things don't go the way we want them to, how to have faith when it seems that God is letting things go on that ought not to go on, at least from your own perspective, and have faith when understanding who God is and what He's done is not coming to fruition in the here and now, which causes you to take a blunt to your hope that it will come to fruition moving forward. And Habakkuk in this book ends up lodging a complaint with God. God, have you not seen the people, your people around me, and how rotten they are? And when he lodges this complaint, God basically says, this is the the Tim paraphrase version, yeah, I've seen it. And I'm going to bring a bigger, badder, worse, even more rotten people to come deal with them. And that's my plan. He doesn't elaborate anymore. He doesn't give a hopeful uh, message beyond that. And so, naturally, Habakkuk, being as human as he is, like we all are, hears God's plan 
to bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to bring judgment on Judah for their deviation from God's will. says, "Eh, you know, I don't like that plan because, you know, they're worse than we are. So you should just deal with them and not worry about the thing I was complaining about before. Again, this is my paraphrase version. You can read the more poetic, much better written version in chapters 1 through 1 and 2, which we actually got to hear the whole book of Habakkuk last week. So hopefully you listened to that and pondered what was being said. But anyway, so Habakkuk responds to God again, and then God responds to him. And the last verse of chapter 2, I, I want to read because some of the humor in the parable that we just read from Luke in dealing with this idea of persistent prayer and persistent faith is actually going to come in to the book of Habakkuk here, which is interesting because in a book like this, or sometimes even the Bible, we, we read and we kind of don't always catch on to humor. There's even humor in a book like this. And I'm going to show you real quick. Because in verse 20 of chapter 2, it reads, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Let all the earth, everything in it, all the, all the wind blowing, all the animals, all the people, including Habakkuk. Now tell me, without jumping ahead, do you think Habakkuk is going to keep quiet? No, he's not. In fact, in verse 1, as we're about to look at the passage, which is going to be chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, uh, Habakkuk doesn't just uh, pray and talk to the Lord. Uh, This prayer is a song. We pick up on that from the first verse. So I don't know if you're into musicals, But as we read this passage, I want you to imagine Habakkuk singing his prayer to God after God just said to let the earth be silent. Does anybody else find that funny? See, this is why I open with that parable from Jesus. It's something that gives me hope. That the testimony of Scripture is to call the people of God to perpetual faith to perpetual prayer, to perpetual dependence on God, to perpetual reliance on God, and to continue to believe that God will come through even if it doesn't seem like He will, even if it doesn't seem like He has, even if it doesn't seem like He's listening. In fact, God keeps listening to you even if He says for the entire earth to keep quiet. He'd rather you not listen to him in that moment. I know that sounds really weird. You should listen and obey God. But that's the humor in this passage. Because Habakkuk is never once stricken down as being unrighteous for complaining, for praying, for asking questions, and for admitting that he's okay with not being okay. And that's what I want us to hear as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 16 this morning. So we're going to read that together. It starts out by saying, A prayer of the prophet Habakkuk according to Shigayanoth. Now I'm going to pause. That word Shigayanoth is a very, very almost untranslatable word. It's a transliteration from the Hebrew. And we're not really sure exactly what it means, but there's some implication according to people that know better than I do 
that it's either a way of uh, saying that he is praying a prayer or more pointedly that this is a notice that the song, the psalm, the prayer and song that he is going to deliver should be set to a particular type of music or musical melody. Does that make sense? So what is about to come out is a song, much like the psalms. And this is what the psalm says from Habakkuk. O Lord, I have heard of your renown. I stand in awe, O Lord, of your work. In our own time, revive it. In our own time, make it known. In wrath, may you remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. The brightness was like the sun. The rays came forth from His hand where His power lay hidden. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed close behind. He stopped and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The eternal mountains were shattered along His ancient pathways. The everlasting hills sank low. I saw the tents of Kushan under affliction. The tent, of cur- the tent curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Or your anger against the rivers? Or your rage against the sea when you drove your horses, your chariots to victory? You brandished your naked bow. Sated were the arrows of your command, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. A torrent of water swept by. The deep gave forth its voice. The sun raised high its hands. The moon stood still in its exalted place at the light of your arrows speeding by, at the gleam of your flashing spear. In fury you marched on the earth. In anger you trampled nations. You came forth to save your people, to save your anointed. You crushed the head of the wicked house, laying it bare from foundation to roof. Selah. You pierced with their own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter us, gloating as if ready to devour the poor who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses churning the mighty waters. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. So what is Habakkuk doing in this passage? Well, first of all, as I already said, in verse 20, the end of the Lord's reply is to let all the earth be silent, but Habakkuk cannot be silent. He is, he is a, a human being that has heard what God is planning to do. And it raises questions it, it prompts an inability to accept. It raises further questions. And then leads to acceptance. And it's in this acceptance that's hard to accept that he sings this prayer to God. And it's a prayer that establishes who God is in his understanding. There's a lot of imagery that is used that is kind of foreign to our ears. For instance, 
he says that God came from Teman. And if you lived in the world of Habakkuk, and you were a good Israelite person, <coughs> you knew that the territory that he was speaking of was the territory of the starting point of God not only leading his people out of captivity from Egypt, but leading them to Mount Sinai where the commandments were delivered in the wilderness. See, what Habakkuk is doing is he's, he's looking back at who God has been in his understanding and in the lives of his people throughout history and acknowledging the fierceness of God that God, who created and can make the whole earth tremble, is able to bring the adversaries of his people to their knees. You have pride thinking you can devour anyone you want? Well, the God, the warrior God of justice will bring you down a peg. He opens up this prayer by saying, I recall the stories of your renown, and I want to see it now. I want to see it now. And so through this imagery, he talks about how mighty God is and how fierce God is in bringing retribution when others bring terror on his own people. It says in the last verse that we just read that he waits quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Now, if you've been following Habakkuk throughout this series, you'll know that Habakkuk's waiting game here has just skipped a step. Because his first complaint to God <coughs> was not about the coming Babylonian judgment that God's going to bring using that calamitous people. It was about the sinfulness and disobedience of his own people and feeling like they are getting away with murder. And yet in his prayer, he has jumped ahead to saying, I can't wait, God, for you to bring retribution for your people against the Babylonians. Just like you did all the way back when your people were in captivity in Egypt, and you brought plagues, and you brought Pharaoh to his knees. It's really, really interesting because Habakkuk is basically saying, I've accepted your plan, and based on who you are and who you were, I trust that the outcome will be as you say that it is. And I long for that outcome to come to fruition. Even though I'm going to have to not only wait, but I'm going to have to live through trial to get to it. And that's why I want us to remember something this morning, and we'll have it here up on the screen in uh, bright yellow here, that we can trust and hope in God unwavering in our faith as he remains constant in his timeless character. We can trust and hope in God, which is what Habakkuk has done. We can even be unwavering in our faith. And as Nick explained to us last week, faith isn't always just 
haphazardly believing that God's going to come through just because we're in good times. Unwavering faith means staying in relationship with God even if you want to turn and run. Unwavering in our faith because God remains constant in His timeless character. Who God was is who God is now, and it's who God will be moving forward. You can trust that God will do as He says and as He promises in the future because God has already been who He is in the past. That is the conclusion that Habakkuk has drawn. He is a person living amongst a people that have been disobedient to God, and God is going to bring judgment and justice on the people in order to help right the ship. There's a bit of pruning going on. Because if you know about the Babylonian captivity, there will be a remnant that will eventually get to come back, and then, you know, time will go on, and eventually on the scene, uh, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Messiah, the teacher, the rabbi, king of kings, lord of lords, the guy that did the parable that we read at the beginning is going to come on the scene. That plan is going to come to fruition because of God bringing the Babylonians on his people, Judah. See, God can work some good things through some terrible things. And Habakkuk is recognizing that. And yet it doesn't change the fact that he's longing for who God has been in His might to save His people to come to fruition now, even though He knows He's going to have to live through hardship to get to it. And that's what it means to trust and hope in God and have unwavering faith. Now, we read this story, and and, and next week we're going to look at the last three verses of Habakkuk. It ends really hopefully, and I I wanted to save that for one, one sermon in and of itself, but I want us to to sit and think for a moment because many of us aren't Habakkuk unless you have a time machine I'm not aware of. Habakkuk in here? No, I'm just kidding. So, we are not in the exact same context that he is facing, but many of us, both on an individual and as a, on a collective scale, have contexts similar to the one Habakkuk is dealing with. I don't know what's going on in everybody in this room's life at all all times, but I can tell you, just this past week alone, I have sat in living rooms and sat in meetings in my office and seen people out and about and talk to them about what's going on and they're dealing with unimaginable hardship. Loss. Illness. Grief. And that's just on the individual level. On a collective level, we may be in our workplaces and deal with struggles there. We may see people around us not operating the way that they ought to. We look at our country, we look at the world stage, and we see calamities all the time. All we have to do is flip on the news, which I suggest you don't turn it on for too long. It'll rot your brain. Anyway, 
But it's still good to stay informed. Okay, but anyway, the point is, is you don't have to look very far. You don't have to step very far out onto your porch to realize that on an individual, family, relational, collective, national, international level, we face hardship. And it makes us similar to Habakkuk, if we're honest. Because we look around at our present circumstances and we long for God to come through. Maybe we've been praying for something for a long time and we don't feel like we're getting the answer that we want or need. Or maybe we want God's judgment to come right here, right now, because we're just sick of all the muck and mire of life. And yet we are called to be a people that trust and hope in God, unwavering in our faith, because not because He'll come through on our timing, but because He remains constant in His timeless character. That's why I love this prayer of Habakkuk. Because as much as Habakkuk complains in this book and and asks questions and all those things are good, and I'm a complainer and question asker of God too in my own prayer life, the thing that he never loses sight of beyond everything, beyond his own circumstances and his own concerns and his own questions, he never loses sight of who God is and that God is good and that God has always been good and will continue to be good in his character. So, I dealt with, uh, uh, I'll call it failure. A Thursday before this past Thursday, um, I, had, I had some car trouble. So I had, had my car towed. And so I ended up working from home because I didn't want to leave my family with, without a car in case I needed it. You know, Leo needs to go to the park sometimes. And it ended up working out. (laughs) This sounds crazy to say this. No one ever likes car trouble, but it ended up working out that I had the car trouble that I did. Because within 45 minutes of my car being towed away, I was on my computer and an email came through. And the email came from my co-supervisor for my PhD dissertation. Now, those of you that know me know that I've worked way too long on writing a book so that I can graduate. And I have been in a waiting game for a little while on the school, well, not the school, the manuscript committee made up of like five different scholars from different colleges that were reviewing my work. And I've been waiting longer than what the deadline says, and so I get an email and I'm like, it's going to be the email. Oh, it was an email. I'm reading along, and, and Tom, who I've known since I was literally in my early 20s, doing the whole, hey man, I hope you're doing all right, I hope you're doing good, it's all nice and everything like that. And then he jumps into the line I have memorized. I got an email this morning that the manuscript committee rejected your manuscript in its current form and will require some additional revisions. 
that's, that's exact. That sound that just happened in the room is how I felt. I felt that way, and I immediately took my laptop, and I went up into our office room area, because I was working at my table because I wanted to be around my son, but I kind of didn't want to be around anybody for a moment. So I got up with my computer, and I just went into the office, and I closed the door. And I prayed, and I was angry and sad, and I felt like I failed, and I felt like I let people down. And I was going through all of this different stuff, which some of it is ridiculous in hindsight, because even the phrase that, that, that I have memorized in my head is not the best way to describe it, because it turns out that this sort of thing is pretty normal. The problem is, I had believed, based off of my two supervisors, who both approved my dissertation, that the committee is going to agree with them. And I let myself believe that, thinking that the next time I got an email, I'd be setting the date to go do my graduation, and that would be done. And now, I have some work to do. And so Tom called me that night just to check in on me. Um, And by the way, Tom hates being on the phone, so I knew he really cared by calling me. And uh, he called me, and he's like, hey, man, I just want to check in on you. And, and he, he, he was going on. He was, he was angry at their decision, too. But he, one of the things he said was he's like, I'm really sorry. He's like, you're going to get through this. I know you will. And you're going to finish this the right way. But he said, I am sorry I got you into this. And that hit me for a moment because it took me back to my meeting with him when I entered into this situation. And one of the things that he told me as I was praying through whether or not I should even do this was he said, this is going to be a really wonderful thing for you, but I want you to know it's also going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done. And I just remembered how easily the doors opened up to get into it. The school accepted me. My advisors accepted me. Uh, the people at Mount Carmel that I worked for uh, all signed off on me doing this. Like, it was never a problem for me to do this work or whatever. It was kind of like God had opened a door. It's like I wanted to do this thing, and God was like, you can do it. Here's your opportunity. And so I feel right now like, why didn't I just get to finish the opportunity? And why do I have to do months more work to get to it. And then I realized something. Actually, I didn't realize this. Uh, Rick Smith, who was in my office on Thursday afternoon? Yeah, it was Thursday. My days are mixing together. He told me a story of some tests he had to take when he was younger and had gone through failure and had to keep improving upon it. And the insinuation of him telling me the story was not only, hey, I I felt like you're feeling right now, but also the whole purpose of this is to make sure that you're as sharp as you need to be to get through it. And so I realized that I hung up on this word rejected, and I forgot something about a manuscript committee and a PhD program. Their job's not really to fail you or pass you. 
Their job is to make sure that you and what you do is at its best so that it is defensible. That's why I don't just go to a graduation when I get approved by them. I will go to a defense. They want to make sure that I can defend and that it works. God did not open a door for me so that I would just fail and that would be it. But He is letting me go through something I don't want to because I wanted to be done. It's been a long time. But I know that if I submit to the work, even if it's hard, I will get done the right way. All of us go through points of feelings of failure, inadequacy, feeling like we don't measure up, feeling loss, grief. We go through things in life. I know that because I'm going through this thing and working through it myself. And I have been with some of you in the last week while you're going through your stuff. It's what makes us not any different than Habakkuk. But here's what I love about this whole story. God's constant and timeless character is that God is a God with a strong arm that wants to bring salvation so that we can stand defensible before Him. That's who He has always been. Even while we sinned and fell short of His glory, in His grace, He still loves us and makes a way. Even if the way is hard to get through, He still loves us. And that is why we can trust and hope and have unwavering faith in Him. That's why we can complain and ask questions and pray and be like that widow going before the mean, nasty judge and just complaining over and over and over again because God wants you in relationship with Him. He doesn't want you to turn and run. He wants you to stick it out unwavering, unwavering because He is good. And that's what leads us back to Jesus. Each week we take communion. Hopefully you got a communion thing, but I actually want to conclude the sermon on this thought. Jesus came and he made disciples and he lived out and showed them and taught them the ways of the kingdom of God. And he called his disciples to a really, 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 really high bar. The bar that he set was so high that we can just keep trying to jump on our own strength and we ain't going to hit it. In fact, instead of not hitting it, we will fail, we will stumble along the way. Jesus' disciples did. And according to Paul in Romans 3, all of us have, through all of history and moving forward, only one was sinless and spotless, and that's the Jesus that we're talking about right now. If you're not Jesus, which none of us are, uh, you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Even though God's goal is for us to not fall short of his glory. So what do we do? Well, Jesus also came to do something else. 
He came to lay down his life by the grace of God, exemplifying God's love for us so that we would be defensible before God, so that by his work and by the power of the Spirit, we can hit the bar. Not by our might, but by his. And each week when we take communion, we don't just remember that Jesus went to the cross, but we remember the culmination of the whole story of God's love, his mercy, his grace, and his desire to make us right and defensible before him. This is why Jesus told his earliest disciples to do this in remembrance of me. Because it's not just about his death. It's also about his resurrection. And it's about the life that he gives us that we cannot attain on our own. And so this morning as we contemplate Habakkuk's song to God, (laughs) his inability inability to stay silent even when God tells the whole earth to be silent because he's wrestling to accept the hardship he's facing but he knows God will come through I want us to take a moment and reflect on the fact that God has in fact come through and even if you feel like you're falling short even if you're not who you want to be even if you failed Even if the prayers that you've had didn't get answered the way that you wanted to or they don't feel like they're being answered at all. Know that God is constant and timeless. That he does not change and that who he was is who he is and who he will be. And you can have faith and hope in that. And even when we take communion, we express our unwavering faith in who God is because we are obedient to the command of Jesus to do this in remembrance of him. So I invite you to ponder that reality right now. And after you've taken that time, we will take communion together as a church family. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do the same now. And in the same way, he passed a cup. And he said, This is my blood which is poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Please pray with me. Dear Lord God, I thank you for 
being able to study through a hard book that speaks truth into, admittedly, uh, our hard lives. Um, It would be nice if things came easy to us, and sometimes they do, and we rejoice in those moments. But in many ways and at many times, we are thrown endless curveballs, it seems. And we don't know why things are the way they are. We don't have the answers, and we want them so badly from you. And we're not even sure we can accept the answers you would give if you even give them on our timetable. And yet, God, we know that you are good, that you love us, that even when we were fallen, broken, sinful, you still loved us and you made a way back to you. And we thank you not only for making that way, but for emboldening us to follow in the way and to be reliant on you and to not give up, but in the power of your spirit to keep walking step by step and following your son, Jesus. And I pray, God, that uh, for all of us in this room, all the things we're going through, no matter what we're going through, that you help us to have unwavering faith, that we will stay in relationship with you, that we will bring our whole selves to you in joy and in sorrow, in grief and in questioning, but that we will know that you're good and that we can trust you. And I pray, God, that uh, as we do that, as individuals, that we will also recognize that we have each other Help us to lean on each other and to lean on the power of your spirit as our lead. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.